The Florida Gators open the 2023 home schedule with an emphatic 49-7 win over McNeese. We recap it all today, the takeaways as we head into a gigantic showdown with the Tennessee Volunteers. This is the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Welcome in to another episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. We are recording here on this glorious Sunday. The NFL Week 1 is back in swing, as you will be able to see myself and Neil are sporting our our, our, our NFL teams today because we're excited for it to be back. Uh, the Eagles taking on the, the New England Patriots here in about an hour, and then later tonight, the Giants taking on the Cowboys. But we're here to talk about the Florida Gators and their great win last night. They are back in the win column for the first time since November of 2022, snapping a four-game losing streak uh, by beating McNeese 49-7. to This was the... 34th consecutive home opening win for the Florida Gators dating back to 1989. So an impressive streak there, but it was good that we finally broke the four game losing streak dating back to uh, when we lost to Vanderbilt last year on the road in Nashville. Uh, But this was the game that Florida really needed. Just what the doctor ordered. Florida got out to a quick start. They scored on their opening drive. They scored actually on their first seven uh, possessions that they got the ball before they even punted. And by that point, the game was well in hand in the second half. Florida at that point had gone way down into the depth chart, putting in a lot of reserve walk-ons at that point, kind of rewarding guys for working hard this offseason, as Billy Napier noted in his post-game press conference. But nonetheless, great win. Florida winning 49-7, six of those scores coming from the ground after only a poultry 13-yard rushing performance the week before up in Salt Lake City. So a huge improvement there. Graham Mertz was 14 of 17, 193 yards, a touchdown, no turnovers on his part, played a very clean game. And and Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne combining for over 270 yards on the ground themselves. This was the first time also since the Urban Meyer era that the Florida Gators scored four touchdowns in the first half on the ground. So Florida getting back into the swing of things and and certainly McNeese, they said going in, they were going to try to limit Florida with the big plays. They weren't going to let them beat them through the air. And that's okay. Florida, you know, kudos to Billy Napier and his play calling, you know, went with a lot of uh, 12 formation sets using the two tight ends to open up that run game. And it worked to perfection as Florida obviously mounted a pretty sizable lead there. And then, you know, from that, some of the late game passing did open up as we saw the bomb from Graham Mertz to Ricky Pearsall, which is starting to blossom into a really good connection between the two of them through two games this season, as as now Ricky Pearsall has over 200 yards through two games and now a touchdown to show for it. So I'm going to go ahead and bring in Neil here. Neil, you and I and Dustin actually was Dustin will be joining us later to discuss his uh, perfect per- prediction on this game. And what he saw from Graham Mertz, but all three of us were at the game last night. It was a it was a fantastic showing of the Gator fan base. I think let's start off there. Actually, I want to shout out Gator Nation for showing up last night. There was an announced crowd of over eighty eight thousand fans uh, that attended this game, and and it and I gotta say it looked full. And and you know for it not being a major opponent, this was an FCS opponent, which means the ticket allotment for the away team is not going to sell out. You're not even come close. But Florida bought those tickets up. They showed up coming off a tough loss. And 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 
the atmosphere in the swamp for the opening game was was great last night, despite the fact that it was against a, a pretty, you know, a, a no name opponent. And knowing that we have a big game this coming Saturday in the swamp. So, you know, I think, Neil, let's start there. Just kind of the, the atmosphere in Gainesville yesterday. We were at a tailgate together. It, it was live. I mean, it, it felt like a, a great day in to be in Gainesville. The swamp felt great. And then obviously the football product on the field wasn't so bad. Yeah, I mean, you and I were at the Florida Victorious tailgate, but the thing that stuck out to me was there were a lot of tailgates that were pretty loud. Um, Harmonic Woods got to shut them out. They always do a great job. It's always fun to to be with them uh, on Museum Road. They have a good time. Um, but there were just so many tents. There were just so many, so many pickup trucks with people just sitting in the back, blaring music, yelling, go Gators, everyone passed them. It, it, it felt like it was a real college football atmosphere, which you don't always get when you have a a big name school like Florida hosting a team that let's face it, they pay money to just come and take a beating. Um, And I I do call BS on that exact number of 88 plus thousand. No, that's, that's not accurate there. The corners were definitely empty here and there, but I would say by my admittedly very unscientific uh, estimation, probably between like 80 and 85,000, which for an opponent like this is pretty good. I mean, last year against Eastern Washington, granted the hurricane moved that, but there were barely 70,000. I mean, that that stadium looked at least a third empty. It was significantly more full for this one, which again, Saturday night versus Sunday morning after hurricane. Sure. That's going to adjust those numbers a bit, but it it felt like Gator nation was ready for this. And they they haven't because they've been waiting all off season for it. And they made sure that everyone else who was watching the game felt that too. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I mean, the the announced crowd of eighty eight thousand. I I think that probably is the amount of tickets sold in this game. It, maybe that's not how many people were in the building, but you know, there there was there was some enthusiasm to see these Gators play, and it's good to see. And I and I think Gator Nation really needs to take this momentum into this big showdown with Tennessee that we'll talk about a little bit today, but really get into later this week. It's an exciting it's an exciting week. This is a rivalry week, and I think the fans. They, they they sort of exercise some demons, I think, with this game a little bit. Just it was a really uh, for the last nine days since the loss to Utah, the morale was as about as low as it's ever been this season or in the 2023 calendar year for the Gators. And and it, it's going to we said it during a, a rebuild. You're going to have your ups and you're going to have your downs. And this past week was one of the lowest downs, I think, for the fan base. But it was good to see the fan support. And I think the overall positive takeaway from this game was that the team did exactly what they needed to do against a very inferior opponent who gave up 52 points to Tarleton State last week. Florida, of course, only scored 49 points in this game. But, you know, Neil, I think we, we really can't look too into that because the one of the biggest takeaways I've noticed this year is that the, the new clock rules are limiting possessions for every team. So it's not good if, if you fall behind in a game against a, a squad that can score points because it's going to be very difficult for you to come back with the limited possessions you might get. But also in a game like this, I think it lim- you know if had Florida had two or three more possessions, I do think they would have scored at least one or two more times in this game, getting closer to that 50 to 60 number that we we had predicted, the model had predicted, and now we only got the 49. And I think it really is more attributed to two things, the fact that we were limited in possessions with the new clock rules and the fact that we pulled our starters midway through the third quarter. As uh, Graham Mertz, I think, only got one or two drives to start the second half, and then they turned it over to the backups. But well, there's uh, there's that, and there's the fact that we insist on having some pre-snap motion on every single play. 
<laughs> if, if we ran tempo, then we would have hit 50 easily. But again, I'm, I'm not complaining. And we'll get into that in a minute, I'm sure. But that that's not something to complain about in this game. It's just, you know, Florida could have hit 50 if they wanted to, for sure. Yeah. And if they would have left Mertz in the whole time, they they definitely would have hit that number. And uh, but, you know, we talked we just hit on the offense a little bit. Defense, in my mind, actually might have stole the show in this game. They had the lowest amount of yards allowed in a game at 112. That was dates all the way, the first time since the uh, North Texas game in 2016, which fun fact, that was the game I was the honorary Mr. Two Bits at. Uh, but the that I mean, it's been a long time since we had a pretty impressive performance like that against a team. Uh, it would have been nice to get that shut out. Of course, the only reason that they did score in this game was because we spotted them an incredibly short field on a fumble, uh, you know, by by a reserve, a walk on player, and no disrespect, but certainly a guy that, you know, if you have your your second, third stringers in there, even Trayon Webb probably doesn't drop that ball on the ground, and therefore McNeese doesn't score in that situation, and the shutout is probably preserved in that situation. But nonetheless, defense played great. We saw a lot of young youth uh, movement on both sides of the ball, but especially the defense. I want to shout out uh, TJ Searcy, who continues to flash on tape, had himself half a sack in this game, as well as a couple tackles for loss. I think this is a guy that is going to continue to get more play time, and we're going to see him probably play this coming Saturday night in the Swamp against Tennessee. And then Jakeem Jackson being a shutdown corner, get a couple breakups in this game were on some deep balls. Clearly very comfortable playing out on an island. And and yet, yes, these are receivers that aren't very talented compared to some of the ones he'll face later this season, but showing the potential for sure that he is something to be reckoned with down the road. But overall, just the defensive performance and the the amount of freshman youth movement, to I think, is really the biggest storyline thus far this season and especially coming out of this game. Yeah, I mean, there's not really too much to be upset about. Um, I will... I will quantify everything I'm about to say with the obvious disclaimer that McNeese is not a good opponent. Well, of course they're not. They're an FCS team. Of course they're bad. No, 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 no. Context has to be established that they're bad for an FCS team. Like within the FCS, they are a bad football team. We played Eastern Washington last year. That was one of the best programs there are in the FCS. It's hard to make a real direct comparison, but I guess – like the the rough equivalent would be like they're the LSU or a USC or a or a Texas of the FCS where they're not Alabama or Georgia but they're consistently thought of as a respectable program you've always got to watch out for when it comes time to making your natty picks. McNeese is not that. They were 4 and 7 last year and as you mentioned earlier they started this year by getting blown away by Tarleton State. So This is a program several levels down from that Eastern Washington program we smacked around last year. That said, I think that there is some validity to the the positivity that fans have um, on both sides of the ball. Um, Graham Mertz, as you mentioned earlier, very efficient, 14 for 17 for 193. And he didn't throw the ball deep a lot. It was a lot of dinking and dunking, but the one deep ball he threw, he hit. He connected on that to Ricky Pierce. All happy birthday, Ricky, by the way. Um, ground game roared to life. You mentioned uh, Johnson and ETN, both at big games. Johnson, 15 carries for 119 and two TDs. ETN, 11 carries for 84 and a TD. How about Treon Webb coming into his own 
And got to shout out Cam Carroll here. Like this would have been his spot as a number three running back. Got to just wish him all the best, but good for Trayon Webb stepping up in the face of such an unfortunate situation for someone else and making it his positive fortune. 14 carries, 71 yards, and two TDs there. McNeese was just two for 10 on third down. That's the big thing that pops off the screen to me. Again, I'll say it as many times as it needs to be said. McNeese is objectively not a strong team, but nonetheless, Florida was having trouble with even the bad teams on their schedule last year. I mean, South Florida, who finished the year zero for the FBS, literally winless against FBS opponents, even they kind of had their way against Florida's defense. So good to see that at least against this level of opponent, Florida can do their job on third down and get off the field. And Utah last week, for all the things that went wrong, Utah was only three for 13 on third down last week. So a big improvement we're seeing so far early this year. Um, Last thing I'll say about... I mean, because I I don't think that there is too much to make from this game because of that talent discrepancy. But the last thing I will say is there were some execution issues. Jason Marshall missed the tackle. Dante Andrews dropped the ball, hit him right in the hands. Another special teams catastrophe, continuing a pattern there. Couple of missed blocks by the offensive line. But overall, it it is hard to complain too much because of, of the win by 40 plus points. The main takeaway is that you can't really have a meaningful takeaway from this game. We just don't know. It might've been a mirage against a clearly outclassed opponent. It might've been the start of some real improvement for this team. We just don't know. We will next week, but we don't know. Agree. I know. I agree with that. And, but I mean, I think the one thing we can say is that the fundamentals were sound overall in this game, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You had guys getting lined up. They were, actually going through and doing their assignments. And then they all, they were flying to the football, especially that play where uh, the going making the rounds on Twitter, where Scooby Williams is spying the quarterback the whole way follows him and then comes up and just makes an incredible sack uh, that got the crowd going in that game. And, and, and the linebacker play is, is much improved, much, much, much improved in this game. Defensive line, the linebacker, that front seven, I feel really good about. And as we preview next weekend's matchup, stopping the run game against Tennessee is probably going to be the key to winning that game in the swamp. So we're going to need more of that play from that front seven to, con- to continue to show up on tape. But as far as some of the miscues, I, in this game, the the little ones that did happen. I mean, the missed tackling, if you look at this time last year, Florida was averaging 10 missed tackles a game. Thus far this season, we're only averaging about four a game. Huge improvement through two games. Huge. That that, that cannot be overlooked. You're not going to be perfect, unfortunately, in a game. And the missed tackle area, though, was one that we have been talking about at nauseum for the last four seasons, dating back to the 2020 year during during the time of COVID. So it was a this is a good change there. And then and I do and what we said last week, there's going to be growing pains with playing a lot of younger players. The majority of this roster is underclassmen. The majority of the starters now are underclassmen. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to miss blocks. They're going to miss tackles. They're going to miss assignments. The key is seeing that overall improvement week over week. Obviously, we saw a big, it was easy to have a week over week improvement, but we need to see something going forward where we are making those big jumps against meaningful opponents. And like you said, next week will be a bigger opportunity to see that takeaway against Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. That's that's the that's the beginning, the body and the end of my real analysis from this game. Like Shamar James looked good on that tape. TJ seriously looked good, but I mean, if you put them against a high school team, they'd look good too. Are we going to praise them for that? 
No, probably not, because we understand that there's such a massive talent discrepancy. And obviously, it's not quite that ridiculous, but I'm I'm holding off because I don't know how exactly Shamar James is going to react when Tennessee starts throwing all kinds of new stuff on him that Florida hasn't seen on tape. I don't know how TJ Searcy is going to respond if he has some early success in the first quarter. All of a sudden, he's double teamed against SEC offensive linemen. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen as a result of that. So we just have to wait and see how they re- how they do against Tennessee. But I do agree with you that we do have to be patient and we do have to be expecting there to be growing pains and bumps in the road as these guys get their feet wet against SEC opponents. And, and even just in general, just even getting acclimated to the game of college football, the speed of other opponents in college versus in high school I mean, Shamar James has been in the program a year now, but someone like Searcy, Jakeem Jackson, they're going to just have to take some lumps. The key, as you said, is seeing them take fewer and fewer of them and less and less damaging of lumps as time progresses. That's what I'm looking for. Absolutely. I do want to break in here. We do have breaking news in the college football world. Mel Tucker has been fired as Michigan State's coach. Uh, these are sources wow. close to Action Network HQ. Brett McMurphy is reporting this. Uh, the secondary coach, Harlan Bennett, will serve as the interim coach with former coach Mark D'Antonio expected to assist as an undefined role. This is in the wake of the university's investigations of Mel Tucker um, sexually harassing um Brenda Tracy, though this is an ongoing investigation. We don't know, but the school has acted now to fire him. Pretty big news here this afternoon, early in the season for college football. So don't then this is a Gator show, but that was something I felt we needed to break in and at least talk about by the time uh, people watch this. They'll, the, the, a lot of the news stories will be out there, but just crazy. The news and the stuff that's already happening in college football this season. I mean, if the allegations weren't so gross i would say maybe florida looks at him as an assistant because not that long ago he was considered a hotshot commodity in the coaching world obviously with something like that on his record you can't touch him um pun not intended but you know what i mean you you gotta i mean you you gotta hire people of of good character but that's just like such a, a quick fall from from such a revered position in the coaching world yeah yeah no i mean he was a high a very fast ascending assistant under uh, Kirby Smart in Georgia, became the head coach at Colorado, and then became the head coach at Michigan State in short order. So big college shakeup there, big news there for that program after they started the season 2 and of themselves. But obviously, if the allegations are proven to be true, certainly Michigan State just did the right thing. All right, well, moving on, though, we will get back to the Gators here, and I'm going to bring in Dustin. Dustin, uh, you know, we have all said that he's done a great job thus far breaking down the 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 model and uh, giving us some great content for, for our fans to get excited about this year. Um, Dustin, I'm going to start with this, and that is you put out a tweet where you gave our our predictions, right? And the t- and the uh, the tweet was talking about, you know, we we always put out our our graphic, our our our, our score prediction graphics, and Neil put down uh, fifty five ten. I put down fifty nine six. You put down sixty three three because you honor your model, you know, but you did preface it by saying that it was going to be uh, forty nine set more like forty nine seven, and I th- we had a conversation 
earlier this uh, this week where, you know, we think that the model might need to be a little bit adjusted over the next couple of weeks, depending on how scores continue to come in, is that because of the fact of the rule changes and the time uh, that's been taking place where you have two to three less possessions a game, that means that the model might be a little bit outdated. So this just is another data point to that is that if Florida may have had those extra possessions, the prediction of the 63 to three or the 59, six, 55 to 10, that the three of us came up with probably would have been a little bit more, but a little more accurate. But just because of the fact that we, we, that did not happen. Florida 149.7, which was what you caveated with the tweet, and you were right on the money. One of the few times, at least, Neil, maybe you can come in here and, and correct me. I can't think of another time since we've been doing predictions as a staff that we were this close. I had Florida beating Arkansas uh, 65-34 in 2020. But, but that's been, it's been three years since 65, 34. Okay. So that was just a few points I was, off. I was one point off, but that's it's just, the point is it's been three years since any of us have come anywhere close to this. So Dustin gets a round of applause for that. That was, that was spot on, on the literally money. Perfect. Literally on the money. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, I think we're, we're still waiting for Dustin actually to come on. So we'll, once he gets on, we'll Dustin go ahead and chime in here and, and uh, go ahead and, and, Take all bask in the glory of your your prediction for for the sixty three to or the forty nine to seven um, prediction. But until well, then, uh, we'll, yeah, Chris. Oh, before like he gets getting... on, before he gets on, we gotta we gotta talk about something. We you got to finally see a, a certain something in person yesterday. Certain something that I was wearing, a certain something that you are now uh, in possession of. Yes, and I and I sh- and I don't have it with me, but the merch I finally received my merch the on all kinds of weather uh, polo with the that awesome Gator logo that everybody has grown accustomed to over the last year, and I can definitely say great, great uh, material. The the logo, the shirt looks amazing. Going to be sporting that at a Gator game this coming season. Cannot wait for that. And it's blue, so it might be a good time to wear it this weekend against Tennessee because obviously this week Gator fans are only allowed to wear one color and one color only. That is blue. If we you are wearing oh, – Neil, we're going to excuse it today. You're wearing orange. Uh, we're, we're, we'll, uh, I know you've been traveling back from Gainesville this afternoon, so we'll we'll excuse it. But This is, this is the only thing left that wasn't dirty. <laughs> so he's going to do laundry today, and he's going to have his blue all set out in order for the rest of the week, and he'll show up in the swamp on Saturday wearing blue as will I and I know as will Dustin who I think we have Dustin now Dustin are you uh, are you with us You bet All right Dustin we were we were kind of gassing you up a little bit you correctly predicted the score of 497 because you you said that the model right now is over it's basically just over valuing more points in, in a lot of these matches hasn't really corrected to the new rule changes. So what are your thoughts on, on being co- right on the money with your prediction? Yeah. So coming into the the game, obviously the, the model had put out 63 to three. And I think the Gators actually could have gotten pretty close to that 63 number. Uh, had they number one left Mertz in for longer I mean, our, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it in, in a few minutes, but we were absolutely, um, we were we were super efficient with the starters in the game. Obviously, when you're putting walk-ons and backups, things kind of change from a from a game dynamic standpoint. But what I had wrote in the tweet, I wrote excited to hopefully be correct 
about picking a Gator victory tonight. Um, <laughs> that's a kind of a backhanded compliment because I picked it. I picked Florida to win uh, the previous four games, and we lost all of them. So uh, that's kind of on me to uh, get a little better at picking games. That that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to bring the model in because hopefully, hopefully the model will be more unbiased than I would. I would be in picking the games, um, but I continue to write Florida 63 to three was generated by my model. However, I do think that there is a slight bias toward higher scores. That's exactly what you mentioned, Chris. Not sure Florida will have enough possessions to score 63 points. It's going to be closer to 49 to seven in my opinion. So put that out. I wouldn't necessarily call it my official pick, uh, but I did, I did put that out well before the game um, and it's still on Twitter now, so uh, I'm glad Florida won. Um, do I wish we would have scored more points? Certainly, we'll get into that in a few minutes. But uh, it was a heck of a pick, and and uh, it's uh, cool to be right. It is cool to be right. And so, Dustin, give us your thoughts though on the game. Neil and I kind of gave our takeaways. We felt that the defense is showing signs of improvement. I know it's this is bear in mind a, a an opponent that is was severely overmatched by us, but the fundamentals for the Gators offense, Graham Mertz, as well as defense were there. Obviously you, I know you love breaking down the quarterback position. Talk a little bit about what you saw from Graham Mertz, highly efficient game. Once again, 82% completion rating 14 to 17 with 193 yards. And one of those incompletions, it's important to note was actually a drop touchdown pass by right. Dante Zanders. So, Graham Mertz could have had another touchdown pass in this game as well as another completion and even a higher percentage. What are your thoughts, though, through Graham Mertz, with Graham Mertz through two games? Yeah, Graham Mertz has been – he's been outstanding. And in, in, uh, within the context of the offense that Billy Napier is trying to run, is Graham Mertz going to win a Heisman this year? Absolutely not. Is Graham Mertz going to be on any uh, NFL um, – prognosticators top 10 board probably not uh he he's not that kind of outstanding but with within the very fine context of what billy napier is trying to do offensively within the within the context of what graham mertz is required to do within the offense i think he's done a phenomenal job even against utah we lost that game our offense should have been a lot better against that utah defense which was hurting in a lot of ways. But Graham Mertz was not the reason Florida lost to Utah. And Graham Mertz continues to show consistency and he continues to show efficient quarterback play. That was my biggest concern coming into the season. I expected Graham Mertz to be a leader. I expected Graham Mertz to throw the ball well. But my concern was that he would not be efficient, that he would not be accurate enough to complete the ball at at the at the uh, the clip that he's completing now. Now, as as a former quarterback in high school, it's it's really hard to have those types of numbers on air. It really is. I mean, if you're if you're 14 for 17 in your pro day, that's that's outstanding. And generally, you're not throwing up against competition. Your pro day, you're just throwing on air. Now, I know the the, the caveat is a lot of those passes are in the backfield. Okay, we're not running we're not running nearly the amount of downfield passing plays that even we saw with Anthony Richardson last year. But against McNeese, 
Florida was uh, – well, Graham Mertz was 14 for 17. Overall, 18 for 23. We had a couple of the backups get in. Max Brown and uh, Michael Leon get in. Um, but 14 for 17, 193 yards. Um, that's uh, an average of 11.4 yards per throw. That, that's that's a big deal. Okay, My buddy Will Miles will tell you that's a pretty good number in terms of yards above replacement. We'll give him all the credit for that stat. If you want to learn more about that, uh, you may want to check out our friends uh, on Gators Breakdown on Twitter. Anyhow, so I thought he was outstanding. Okay, Now, the, the big caveat, the big pause that, that I want to give, and this is going to apply to Grant Burtz, and this is also going to apply to the rest of my analysis today when it comes to Gators, is we got to be careful. Florida did this against McNeese. McNeese is bad. Okay, they're bad. They're bad for a college football team. They're bad for an FCS team. They're bad. Okay, they played. Um, Neil, you so brilliantly pronounced their opponent last week's name. I'm just going to suffice to call him T State. All right. So T State's quarterback through he was 15 for 35. Oh, that's Mindy's. Uh, he was 20 for 34. He threw for 344 yards and three touchdowns. Did have two picks. Okay. So Graham Mertz definitely didn't throw a pick uh, yesterday, which was good through that touchdown pass. But the numbers are still – they're still pretty efficient. I mean, if you go to the receiving um, for T-State, I mean, they had 17.2 yards per catch. That's a big deal. T-State was actually more explosive through the air than Florida was. Now, again, Florida's mindset against – McNeese was completely different than T-State's mindset. So I don't want to I don't want to compare apples to apples, okay? It's not a direct comparison. All I want to all I want to communicate is that Florida was successful. Okay, Graham Mertz was 100% efficient. He had six drives in the game and all six drives turned into touchdowns. You can't expect anything else from your quarterback to lead every single drive into the end zone. That's a huge deal. But we have to pump the brakes a little bit because this was against an awful team. An awful team that generally teams are efficient against. So that's kind of my thought process with Graham Mertz. In 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 the words of, of Neil, I love what you put out on Twitter yesterday. We're kind of in this wait and see game. So I really look forward to that Tennessee game because not only on my mind will that be a fulcrum for the rest of the season, a turning point for the rest of the season, and we'll get more into that in our in our preview pod, but specifically for Graham Mertz. If Graham Mertz can continue to be efficient, if he can if he can continue to throw the ball for at least 60%. Um, in completion percentages, if he can, if he can continue to to uh, be to not throw interceptions, I know that one pick against Utah was a was a um, a drop that went into the air. That's kind of a freak play. If he can continue to throw the ball like that, and he does, he has success against Tennessee. I think we're in for a good season. But there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. So that's kind of my thoughts. Uh, what say you guys? Well, I mean, Dustin, I think you summarized it beautifully in, in what Graham Mertz can do. And one more thing I want to uh, at least point out this is the first time in 33 years that a Florida quarterback has thrown for three uh, that has over 500 yards in his first two games. Last quarterback was Shane Matthews, of course. And Shane wow. Matthews was a quarterback that came out of nowhere and delivered an SEC championship to the Gators in a year later, 1991, if it weren't for the probation in 1990. But 
Not comparing Graham Mertz to Shane Matthews quite yet. I think he's got a long way to go, but Shane Matthews did have a lot of high praise for Graham Mertz when he observed him at practice throughout the fall camp. It's important, I think, to note that, but I agree. I think it's wait and see. We are at wait and see mode right now, and next week against Tennessee is the fulcrum for the 2023 season. Before we go any further, got to shout out our merch store. We've got new merch that is comfortable, lightweight for those hot summer days. Makes it clear to everyone you come across which team you pull for. From 100% polyester workout tees to soft style cotton tees, sport tech polos, quarter zips, hoodies, beanies, baseball caps, trekker hats, koozies, tumblers, and more in all kinds of weather has just the gear you're looking for this football season. Our in all kinds of weather gear is sold in four colors, orange, blue, black, and white. And it all features that sleek new alligator logo that pays homage to all your favorite moments in Gator history. So don't wait. Get yours today. Go to inallkindsofweather.com slash merch to get yours now. That's inallkindsofweather.com slash merch. And Chris, to the point that you were just making. That's, that's the name of the game. That's, that's as I said earlier, that's the beginning. That's the body. And that is the conclusion of the entire analysis of McNeese. Wait and see. We're in a holding pattern. We will know so much more next week. Not going to beat that horse to death. Just wanted to reiterate that all the good, all the bad we saw against McNeese, you, you just can't make too much of it. But like you said, we'll know a lot more about what the team is made of in about from now, um, six days and about five, six hours. Yeah, no, I can't wait. I, this is this is the game that I've been excited for for the last couple of weeks. And regardless of the result at Utah, we had it circled on our calendar. This was going to be the test. If Florida wins this game and then you go, you you beat Charlotte the following week, you're three and one going to Kentucky. There's certainly a path for Florida to, I don't know if it'll happen, but go into that Georgia game with maybe a six and one record. I mean, you look at the opponents uh, after that, after you got Kentucky, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Opponents we've talked about, we have to beat in order to take the next step. But as we'll find out, I mean, right now, ESPN FBI has Tennessee woefully underranked compared to where the country AP poll has them ranked there. Right now, the new AP poll has Tennessee at the number 12 position, but the FPI poll has them at 22. Dustin and his model has had Tennessee also a little bit lower than where the AP has. Be interested to see later this week where his new model has uh them ranked as well in comparison, but I do think that Tennessee is not as good of a team as people probably anticipated. And, and, and Dustin, uh, we're going to, we're going to get into this on a segment where uh, later this week, where we're going to break down the quarterback play of both Graham Mertz and Joe Milton, but Joe Milton's average yard per attempt is 5.9, 5.9. So it's, that is something that we are going to have to look at, you know, going into the season, the stock was high on Joe Milton. And right now, I don't know. I I think I'd be selling that stock. We'll, We'll have to see. Well, speaking of stock up, stock down, we do have a new segment before we get into grades today that we're going to be talking about. And this is a new segment to our show. We're going to we're going to have this uh, engage a little bit more with our fans in future episodes. But we're going to do a little stock up, stock down. So let's let's start with um, we're going to go. We're going to look at the team as a whole stock up, stock down. And then I also want to evaluate the coaching staff, too, and where you're at with them. And there's a couple of different ways we can go about this. But. Neil, I'm going to start with you right now. Stock up, stock down on Billy Napier. 
See, that's again, um, or hold, maybe hold, yeah, hold, hold, neutral. Okay. We we okay. just we didn't we didn't learn anything. Uh, I I will say I would have liked to maybe have seen a little bit of tempo. Then again, if you're going to install it, it makes a lot more sense to roll it out for the first time against Tennessee than it went against McNeese. So that's why I say hold. Because if if Florida goes the whole season and nothing changes about this offense, that stock is plummeting. If Florida starts rolling out new stuff week in and week out that opponents aren't prepared for, the way that Dan Mullen once did, that stock is going to start rising up. That's what we loved about Dan Mullen. That was one of the things he did well. But no, for now, we just got to hold on it. I think that if you look at last night's game in particular, I was at least happy that Billy Napier took what the defense gave him. The def- it was very obvious from the get-go what McNeese was there. We're not going to let you have explosives on us. We're not going to let you throw the ball all up and down the field like we know you probably could. We're we're going to play only six in the box, and we're going to make you run the ball. Floor was like, all right, bet. We're going to run the ball. And they ran it for over 300 yards. And then eventually, those 12 formation sets with two tight ends set up the passing game later on. And that's where we saw the bomb to Ricky Pearsall. We saw a pretty nice throw down the sideline for a a 23-yard gain to Ricky Pearsall once again. Then then that's when those passing yards started to come for the Gators in this game. But I I I agree. I think it's hold on Billy Napier, hold on the staff right now. They did what they needed to do. To, to get the team back going in the right direction for this for a rivalry game. I am very eager to see how they treat this rivalry game. When you look at it, you watch Swamp Kings and you see how those guys, I always remember how much Urban put a premium on rivalry games. I'm really curious to see the premium the staff puts on rivalry games, especially this week in the Swamp, when you were an over last year against rivals. Have to beat rivals if you're going to remain the head football coach at the University of Florida. Dustin. And the counter to that, or I'm sorry, just, just really quick. The counter to that is, yeah, Napier took what the defense gave him. What happens against LSU when LSU says, we're not going to let you have that, have this. We're going to force you to do this. And Florida can't do that. Like if, if LSU is going to give us the running game with exactly the same formations McNeese tossed out there on defense and we can't do it, then what? So that's why I'm in hold. Cause yeah, he did what the defense gave him. But again, that's not really an accomplishment with the level of competition. Fair enough. Fair enough. Dustin, what do you think? Uh, hold, stock up, stock down, or hold with Billy Napier? Yeah, this is an amazing segment. So I want to – I agree with with Neil. I think I think you have to hold because on one side, we're already seeing the evidence of Billy Napier as a recruiter. He's done an outstanding job. Not only has the class shown itself to be better, but the players that he's gotten on the field, the freshmen, have been outstanding. All right, he's done a phenomenal job at acquiring talent. As he said in his his opening press conference, college football is a talent acquisition business. So on that end, he's done phenomenal. So on the other end, though, I want to see him uh, do a better job as an offensive tactician. As he as he continues to get the players that are better scheme that are better fit for his scheme, I want to see him be a tactician to not only take what the defense is giving you, but to cement your offensive identity. And I know we did that per se against McNeese, but McNeese is horrible. I'm curious to see how Billy Napier can cement his offensive identity on Tennessee. If he can, then stock up all the way. But if we're if we're back here, uh, if we're back at square one with a similar attitude and mindset that we had, coming from the Tennessee game or coming from the Utah game, 
uh, last week we're, we're in the same the same boat looking at a, a one and two Florida after Tennessee, then it might be stocked down, unfortunately. So, you know, the verdict's still out. Uh, Going to hold on this one, but I am cautiously optimistic, guys. As am I, as am I. And so that leads us to the next segment, stock up, stock down as a team with the players. Where are you at with this one? We'll, Dustin, we'll, we'll stay with you. I'll be quick. Stock up 100%. This team, they're playing better. They're they're uh, playing more together. And there's an identity. There's an identity in terms of toughness. Defensively, I saw a hat in the hat. Uh, they played fierce. Though the funny thing is, so so Neil and I we had the the we actually um watched this game together, and early in the game, something I honestly didn't like was I saw us celebrate a lot. After every big hit, we were celebrating, and early on, I didn't like that because I had flashes of Justice Boone getting hurt. Um, though I didn't see that, I could just visualize it in my mind that this great player. Uh, just made a great play and then hurts himself, not on the field of play, but just celebrating after after the whistle's been blown. So I don't want to see that. Also, you don't want to see a dumb celebration penalty. But the more I think about it, this team is getting excited. There's a fire that it, that it, that is coming under them, and that's exciting to see. And that's something that I hope we see against Tennessee. Maybe not so much all the celebration, but... I'm excited to see how this defense continues to show. And we and, and look, we've heard it all offseason with Coach Armstrong. He's done a phenomenal job at 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 implanting this fire in this Gator defense. And if that if the offense carries that same fire and we see massive explosive plays against Tennessee that we haven't seen this season thus far, then I think the sky's the limit for the Gators. Now, I'm not saying we're winning a natty this year. I'm not saying we're going to compete with Georgia or even LSU, who doesn't look as good this year. But I think that that overall, this program will be on the up and up. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you on, on that with the energy. You just got to make sure you channel it in the right way. We saw Marco Wilson channel it in a very, very not right way in 2020. Uh, I mean, not going to change the subject for too long, but just shout out to Ben Shelton on the tennis court getting to the semifinals of the U.S. Open. That was one of the criticisms that has been hurled at him throughout the past week or so. He has a a very, very exuberant personality, and he celebrates a lot after every point, including when he's down, including when it's really early in the match. When there's so much of the of the contest still to go ahead of him, and it exerts energy in that sense, so there is something to be said about about channeling the energy in the correct way and not being dumb about it. But Dustin, to your point, I mean, I mean injuries are are a fluke thing. You can't really blame a guy for celebrating a a big play in a big game. Like for example, Ted Ginn Jr. was the example I brought up to you. Uh, when we saw that early in the game, he said, well, that's that's dumb because Justice Boone got hurt. And I said, yeah, well, I mean, he's not the only one. It's happened before. Uh, I mean, Ted Ginn Jr. in the national championship game celebrating his opening kick return touchdown didn't play the rest of the game because he got hurt in the celebration and the pileup. So it's just there has to be that level of caution to that. But I mean, overall. Stock up on the on the most of the players. Um, Dante Andrews obviously gets a ding for dropping a touchdown pass that Merch put right on him. But for the most part, they did what they were supposed to do. They executed. 
they did a lot better in that department than I would have thought they would do after looking so bad in that department a week ago. Granted, the competition level went down, but overall, you you can't be too upset. I, I think overall it's let's let's think of it this way. Let's say the stock for Florida. I think the stock was rising on Florida going into the Utah game. And then it took a massive hit last week. I think it's stock up, but we haven't recovered the losses from where we were before pre-Utah. If Agreed. we're thinking in terms of price. So I think that if you beat Tennessee, though, it's fully recovered. It's fully recovered value. And then it sky's the limit from there. What can you do with that newfound energy that newfound confidence this is this truly is an inflection point for the season and i'm really just excited for it and i'm excited to talk a lot about it on this podcast this week with you all and, and some of our uh i, I think guests neil do we want to go ahead and yep. tease the guests for the week we have a special guest he's been on the in all kinds of weather forecast before he's, he's a recurring guest uh, matter of fact he is a former florida gator first team all-american i think we'll Leave it at that and let the surprise linger for a little bit longer. But you've heard him before on our show, and he's made a lot of plays for the Gators in his time, and we look forward to having him again. Yeah, and one more thing I'll note, and we'll see how good our listeners are, but he did come on last year before the biggest home victory of the season last year. Well, that so, gives it away. Come on. We're just saying, uh, if you, if you, but let's see how good our listeners are. Maybe they'll go back and watch and listen to that anyone, one. Anyone who follows us is going to know immediately who that is. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's going to make for a great show. He, the energy he brings is off the charts to, to Dustin's point. That, that energy is the setup um, to the game. And speaking of energy, we talked about fans, but just real, real quick. I just like that Tom Petty sing along. Lights go out. See, I I think the lights going off and the having just the phones on, it made it feel like a real concert. And I think it was better. It was a better light show than the new LED, the light LED show lights for the touchdown. Yes. I I I mean I appreciate what the what they are trying to do there, and I and it's it's better than nothing. I'll say that, but it's still not at the level of LED light show that Alabama or Georgia are at. I want to see how it is maybe like when it's pitch dark, right? Like as the fall goes on, it's going to, it's going to be darker at kickoff if you have a seven o'clock kickoff game. So it'll be a bigger effect earlier on, but unless it's like pitch dark, I don't think the LED lights really work that well. But the tribute was amazing. I know Dustin, I don't think Dustin's not talking right now, so you can't see his screen, but it, he's showing the video when he where him and Neil were together and like they're just jamming yeah, out like epic. There you it's go. Yeah. Neil is just having the time of his life. We all know Neil. Tom we Penny. all know Neil's got some pipes. Oh yeah. That oh was, yeah. That, was, that was fun. I was I was feeling good. <laughs> I was feeling good at that time. Still am, yeah. but yeah, man, that was that was an experience for sure. All right, guys. Well, let's wrap the show up with grades real quick. And I do think these grades are going to be better. They're not going to be perfect, but they're going to be significantly better than they were last week. We had, I think, on average, two failing grades and the back half. I don't think we'll have one this week. At least I, I don't think we're going to have one this week. I know Neil's probably going to ding special teams a little bit for their faux pas, but I'm not sure about an F. Uh, all right. So. Dustin, you want to start with grades? So let's go offense, defense, special teams, and coaching. What do you got? Yeah, so offense, I'm going to give them an A-. minus. I thought that, you know, you're probably wondering, hey, Dustin, you just said that they're perfectly efficient. Well, I, you got you to gotta understand this. We did not have the tempo that I would have liked us to, to have produced. 
And we did look lackadaisical at times. Um, I, I thought we could have been more explosive against a team like this. And for that reason, I'm giving us an A-. Uh, very thrilled for uh, what I did see. But there were some things I didn't see that, that kind of um, left some things out there. So hopefully I can give the Gator offense a perfect A next week. Um, even with probably a likely less efficient uh, production, if that makes sense. A defense, got to give them an A. Not an A+, plus, so probably be like a 95. But I thought the defense, for the most part, played stellar. I mean, one of the lowest uh, yard productions for an opponent that I've seen in several years. I'm sure, I'm sure, Neil, you have the exact last time that Florida had such an offensive performance or defensive performance in terms of the uh the yards given up um when was the last time florida had had such a performance neil i want to i want to hear it from you um off the top of my head i'd probably say it was thousand okay 2019 yeah um, i mean again though that's that's misleading because our starters shut them down for so long and they they got like 40 cheap yards at the end. I mean, we were talking about, right. yeah, McNeese is not going to get in triple figures unless we pull our starters. They did. So, I mean, the starters did as good of a job as you could have realistically asked them to do. Dustin, yeah. wait, are you asking if when's the last time we held them to under triple digits or? When was the last? I mean, I, if I remember correctly, the, the, the total yards that McNeese had was 112. Yes. I'm wondering so, when the last time we gave up that type of number. So I said it actually earlier in the show, the, it was North Texas. It was the, Thank it you. was the best production since North Texas in 2016 when we actually Excellent. held him to 53 yards of, of uh, offense, which was Fantastic. the greatest defensive performance in the school's history. Yes. From a yard, yeah. from a yards allowed perspective. And we had a safety in that game as well. You had two safeties. Like, I thought. Or did we at least, I know we had at least one. We had, a, we had one last night. So it was uh, good to see that. Yes. So for just wrapping it up, special teams, I'm going to give Florida a D minus. I'm going to uh, reserve the balance of my time and hand that off to Neil in just a few minutes. Coaching, I want to give us a B plus. Again, I can't give us an A for that type of performance because of the team that we're playing against. I do think that schematically there's some things that I want to see from the Billy Napier offense that I haven't seen yet. And then as far as an overall grade, I'm going to give them an 85. Again, they played well. If they if they put up this kind of performance against an SEC team, even even a terrible SEC team like Vanderbilt, then maybe you're maybe you're getting a 95 or or something higher. But again, it's McNeese. They're awful. They're terrible. They're a terrible uh FCS team. They're probably going to lose most of their FCS games this year. So putting all that into context, I got to give them a solid B for the overall performance. What say you guys? I feel like Dustin is, is typically in between us. Like Chris is the optimist of the show. I'm the pessimist. Dustin feels like he's, I mean, he leans, he leans positive more than negative, but I feel like he's a good third party to balance us out in that sense. So, um, I mean, we're going to be pretty congruent. I think offense gets a B plus. They were fine. They didn't do anything really terrible. You know, they didn't snap the ball over the Mertz's head. He didn't throw an interception. There there was a fumble by our, our fourth or fifth string running back, Eddie Battle. So, I mean, Chris, I feel like we should count that, right? We we, we gotta we gotta give them all their moment in the sun. We gotta treat them like gators. They're, they play for the Florida Gators, they'll they'll be a part of that. So we'll I guess we'll ding them for that. But 
I mean, for the most part, they did what they were supposed to do. They were efficient. The one time Mertz did throw a deep ball down the field, he connected on it to Ricky Pearsall. So love to see that. Um, they, they get a solid B plus. Defense gets a B plus as well. I was thinking about giving them an A minus. The first drive of the game wasn't really great, giving giving up a few first downs to a McNeese team that is woefully undermanned in comparison to Florida. So that wasn't good. Um, but again, B plus fine no real complaints about that special teams god i mean you can't keep having these catastrophes on special teams you just can't do it like it feels like every single week there's something terrible that happens going back to last year south carolina they did literally everything wrong they could have possibly done uh vanderbilt you fumble a punt you're inside your own 10 which you shouldn't have even been trying to catch inside your own 10 um, the Oregon State, you have a field goal blocked. I mean, you do block one back. I, I guess that's a push. But, you know, Utah, another terrible special teams performance with the missed field goal, the the shank punt, and then the whatever you want to call the jersey infraction. And then this week, you can't even execute a simple extra point attempt. So it's just it's, – it's the continued effect for me. That's just – it's really, really frustrating to sit here and keep evaluating that before – it cost Florida another big game. It it did already cost us the Vanderbilt game last year, and I'm terrified it's going to cost us another one. So that was the only thing they did wrong. But I mean, I guess I'll I'll pass them. But they'll they'll get a they'll get a C minus because they didn't do anything else terrible. But God, you you gotta clean that up. Uh, coaching, I honestly don't want to give a grade because. A lot of this is going to have to do with what I see next week against Tennessee. Was Billy Napier holding back his playbook? Was he holding back his tempo? Was he holding back literally all of the downfield passing routes that exist in the offense this this week against McNeese? Was he holding them all out for Tennessee? If we come out against Tennessee and Florida's throwing the ball all over the yard, and catches Tennessee by complete surprise and wins the game through the air, then he's going to get an A for coaching in this game because he played it perfectly, didn't give Tennessee anything to show on to see on tape, kept his guys healthy, and won the game in easy fashion like he was supposed to. If we come out against Tennessee and the offense gets shut down because there's, there's the same pre-snap motion that Tennessee has seen 410 times, well, then we say, Billy, what, what what were you doing? You had this week to prepare in practice. You didn't have to show it against McNeese, but you could have done something to get the team ready for this Tennessee game, and you didn't do it. So I want to hold off on that. Um, but if I have to give some grade, I'll give a neutral grade of a, of a B, I guess. But again, that comes with the caveat that I really want to hold off until next week to maybe even retroactively grade this game. That's fair. That's fair enough. So for me, I'm going to give the offense an A minus as well. I thought they played very well. They were incredibly efficient throwing the football. They took what the defense gave them, which will lead into my grade for coaching later on. I thought the run game was is about as good as they can possibly get over 300 yards of offense. We haven't seen that since the South Carolina win last season. It was great to see us get back in that in that regard. And anytime you score six touchdowns on six possessions with your first team unit, like Dustin said earlier, that's incredible. You can't ask for much more. So I'll go A minus. I agree. I think it, you know, just really because we haven't, I don't know if we've really seen it to seen the the overall playbook yet. We we just don't know truly what we have in this offense. I think until we find those against a, a really good SEC opponent, and we're gonna have our first test this Saturday. Defense, I'm gonna give it an A. 
And the reason I'm going to give it an A is because they really are starting to do the fundamentals and the things that we've asked of them, tackling, getting lined up, assignments, discipline, sound football on that side of the ball. I really believe the defense is going to become the strength of this football team as the season progresses, where they're actually going to win this team games. They will win. The Florida Gators will win more games this season as a result of the defensive play. And it's starting to start. It's starting to show what the difference that Austin Armstrong has made on this team is significant. And he's going to get a chance to really show that in front of the home crowd this weekend. But I'm really pleased with the performance thus far from the defense. That's why they get an A special teams. I'll go C minus for special teams. Yeah. I, 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 you know, you can't have a bad snap the, and then we didn't really attempt any other field goals, but, but no, we didn't have a shake punt. And the biggest one, and I screamed, I screamed this or yelled it loud. I was like, when, when Eugene Wilson didn't field the punt inside the five yard line, this game, we were down inside the one, but I said, you know what? At least he learned like the guys learned they, they learned, we didn't have a screw up with the same jerseys on there. But of course, once again, we're just not crisp and special teams. I, 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 there was a point in the game where I was able to move down, join some friends, and we were closer to the sideline, and I could hear the action going on on the sidelines a little bit more. There was a clear change in the way they're operating. There's a little bit more communication on the sideline happening during at least this game. And I'm curious to see if that continues on and if that results in some better personnel shifts throughout the game. But there seemed to be less issues with getting guys on and off. There wasn't, you know, more guys in a huddle or not enough players out on the field. And if there ever was getting a situation where it was getting close to that, they recognized it quickly and quickly got guys shifted around where they needed to be. So that leads me into my coaching grade. I think I'm going to give the coaching staff a, a, a B plus. They they weren't perfect, but they were significantly improved. I was really pleased with the way Billy Napier just said, you know what? Listen, I know I'm coaching an inferior opponent. I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm going to take what they give me. He did that. I agree. The pre-snap motion stuff can be a little bit dizzying to watch and, and, and takes a lot of precious time off the clock when you're trying to run a two-minute offense. But he did do- your own team. And fatigues your own team. You're you right. All that, yeah. When you do it all the time, if it, it takes something out of the tank. Well, I mean, until further notice, this is probably the offense that we're going to have under him. So I'm hoping that it just yields good results and we'll, and we'll just have to see and we'll, we'll judge from there. But I think that there was a gut check internally in the football office this week. You could hear it in the, the, the vocabulary, the verbiage they were using, how hard the practices allegedly were. We're going to see if, and and we'll see how it is this week. That's why I said, I want to see how they treat this rivalry week. I want to see the attitude and and their approach. Because that's going to tell me where this coaching staff is headed. But I thought the response from the Utah game was really good from them. I think they felt a little bit more of a sense of urgency. And, and we'll see. Like I said, it's, it's hold, it's hold on, it's hold on Billy Napier and the staff right now until we see results this weekend. But I, I do like where, their head is at going into this week and we'll see tomorrow at the press conference, the teleconference later than in the middle of the week and how the practices progress throughout the week. But overall, pleased with the improvement the coaching staff made. So that's why they get a B plus overall grade for the team. I, I like us around an 89, 90 for performance. I thought it was solid. You really didn't even think about the special teams thing in the, in the, in the first quarter because everything from that forward was fine. That was probably the worst screw up of the night outside of the fumble inside our own territory when the game was well in hand and it was 
you know, you're, you're deep, deep, deep down in the depth chart, you know, guys that don't really play that often. And, and that wouldn't traditionally happen in that situation. So overall, really pleased with the, with the win. I think we should be happy. And now we head into one of the biggest weeks of the year. And that is Tennessee week. We are set up for this. Let's go have a great week. Let's beat Tennessee. And we cannot wait to bring you more great content previewing the game previewing the new model that Dustin will be putting out later this week and getting ready to kick Tennessee's ass. Just going to point out, does anyone, anyone here remember the last time Tennessee beat Florida? 2003, 24, 10 in the swamp. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. In the swamp. Are you talking about in the swamp or just... in the swamp? In the swamp. Yeah. I meant. Yeah. yeah, no, that's uh that was a doubt. We, we, we want to keep it going over two decades. I was nine. Just, just yeah. for some perspective. I'm I'm 29 now. I was nine. There are a lot of most most of the kids in college right now in that student section were not born the last time Tennessee won in Gainesville. True. And and actually, if you really want to get deep into it, Tennessee has only beaten Florida a grand total of three times since 1971 and seven times since the end of the Korean War. Wow. In the swamp, in the swamp. Uh, um, so they've only won. They won in 01, 03 and 1971. Oh, Yeah. Right. That's long time. Yeah. They don't beat. They traditionally just do not. Have and it has luck. to stay that way, Billy. Please, we're begging you. You <laughs> got to give us some data here to, to keep defending you. We lo- we all on this show. We love the, what you're doing off the field. You got to give us some data on the field to keep our defenses of you strong. Yeah, some of the the most historically bad teams in Gator football history have beaten Tennessee. The that's uh, also true. The Bill Muschamp team. Yep. They lost an FCS opponent, beat Tennessee. The uh, Jim McElwain's final season, that that team also beat Tennessee. So Billy Napier, Dan Mullins let's last beat year. Tennessee. Dan, Dan Mullins' last year, disaster of a last Tennessee. year where the program was fundamentally shattered from the inside. Yes. Blew Tennessee out. Yeah, it, it, it has to happen. We've said it before. I'm going to say it again. This is the fulcrum game of the season. What, what I mean by that, think about, uh, you know, we talked about um, the last time Florida lost to Tennessee, Neil was nine. Okay, I'm sure Neil, like myself, when we were nine, we like to go to the playground and play on seesaws, right? So that seesaw can either be facing up or facing down. That's what this Tennessee game is going to do for the Gators. It's going to be an upward trajectory or a downward trajectory, and we'll see. Look forward to covering it. It's a uh, officially Tennessee hate week and we're all here for it. Um, it's going to be exciting. This is the last bit of orange. I'm going to have on any part of clothing between now and next uh, Saturday. That includes, by the way, my tie. I have a special Florida Gator tie for Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year coming up. I have a, a blue and orange tie. that's mostly blue, but it's got some orange stripes. Nope. Nope. Not doing it. It's going to be a solid blue tie. With a with a with a, a white F through it, it does not have any orange on it. Um, and yeah, just uh, to to cap the show, exactly how long it's been since Tennessee's beaten Florida in the swamp, guys? From the day we're, we're recording this, seven thousand two hundred and ninety five days. Well, let's keep it that way. Let's keep it that way, and it's a big week, and we'll be covering it here on the In All Kinds Weather Forecast.
So make sure to please drop us a like, comment down below, subscribe to the show. Let us know how we can continue to get better and reach more uh, of Gator Nation out there. And from all of us here tonight, Neil Shulman, Dustin Smith, Chris Shanes, have a great week. Let's beat Tennessee and go Gators.